This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What up, what up, what up, up? We're three, what, three weeks maybe we've been out? I feel like we've been around the world traveling, missing shows, doing magic stuff, uh, ironically. But uh, there's so much to catch up on. I'm very excited to be here with you. Yeah, and, and, and just uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, Aftermath and kind of what is an epilogue booster pack and what does that mean for the story? What does it mean for the set? What does it mean with the new standard rotation they've announced? Uh, and then also kind of talking about just like the value of opening packs right now, because uh, there's been a lot with between the serialized cards for um, the the multiple sets that we've gone with them from Brothers War to uh, Martian Machine to um, just like what an aftermath pack is, collector boosters, etc. Um, really briefly, uh, just a few top the bill announcements and before we get into that one uh, apologize to everyone you know for the kind of the slowdown on, on normal content releases it looks like we're probably moving to a buy or single once a month uh podcast format just between fatherhood and travel schedules and work schedules in the world right now uh it's just it's harder to get a consistent release schedule on a, a monthly basis or a weekly basis so we're, we're trying to find more times to do it and, and at a minimum we'll be doing it once a month but and trying to do it every other week or at least twice a month so um apologize to everyone for that uh in the meantime if you are here and you want to help support the podcast and make even make it possible to release more episodes a month um if we can figure that out uh please check out both our patreon and then as well as if you're going to be buying cards tcg player uh who uh using our affiliate link below in the description if you click on that and then buy cards uh during that action uh it counts towards the podcast and it helps us out and uh last but not least uh you know make sure to check out TikTok, the MMCast TikTok, which is not a sponsorship thing, costs you nothing. It's free, but no. uh, we've been posting a little more often. It's the official Masters of Modern, the MMCast TikTok channel. As we've slowed down our YouTube content, that is what's kept a lot of our, our efforts alive. So Ben's been posting a lot on that recently. And then, of course, my personal TikTok at Ke- blah, 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 blah. My personal TikTok at Kess Wiley is consistently ca- just drop in magic content left and right. Drop that platinum quarter on us this week. Just the 25K just throwing down. Oh, my goodness. Just the the flex from Kess Wiley. No, it was, it was, did it was I, good. To did, I, did I hit 25K? i got to confirm. You posted a video about hitting 25K, you you schmo. I feel like that's why I responded. Oh, 25 K followers? That was like yeah. months ago. Uh, oh, really? Did it just pop I guess up? I hit a 16,000. But that was a repost. That was when Prof was here. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it popped up on it popped up on on a, a different feed of mine, so it must have been an old post. Uh, but I, either you way, seen that post yet? Yeah, cast has been killing it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I was going to say that on that note, you've been doing obviously daily content on both Twitter and on TikTok for months, so you can get a lot of magic news there. If you do follow any of our places, the YouTube or the Instagram or whatever, and you see any uh, video content, we have Renee who is often reposts the reels, clips of the podcast, clips, you know, Alex's clips. Now some of the stuff I'm doing. So you kind of get a little bit of a snapshot of that. And the one series that I started doing recently, which was pretty fun, was kind of looking back at old draft formats and talking about 
what the draft format was like, what opening the pack was like, and then what it's like throwing one of those packs into a chaos draft. As you guys know that I have kind of a fascination with chaos drafting. So you can see those on the MMCast TikTok. I've done, I guess, three or four of them now, and uh, it's been pretty fun. I've actually really enjoyed that. Uh, and just a really quick question for everyone in the comments, because this is one of the ones that, speaking of TikTok, that's blowing up. Um, there are, you know, there's, there's, and it's going to be relevant to the conversation today. Uh, there are three red cards that all have the same vibe, and I need you to tell me what the best one is. What is the most powerful of these three cards? The first one is Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Uh, two red uh, saga created two two red goblin uh, shaman creature token with wherever this creature attacks bear a treasure token. Story two is you may discard up to two cards if you do draw that many cards. Story three is exile the saga and return to the battlefield under your control, and you get a kiki jiki that taps for one. Right? Is the is the it's target non legendary creature for one and a tap. So yeah, it doesn't go infinite because you have to pay one. It's a two two one tap create a token that's a copy of another target creature legendary creature. All right, so that so 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 uh, the card that is breaking standard, the card that is the best card in standard Fable, currently, yeah. Fable. Fable you guys probably know it, yeah. Two Splinter Twin, two Classic. red uh, enchant creature creature gains tap it copy this creature. Three Kiki Jiki. What is the most powerful of those three cards? We so we used to have this conversation on the old like best red cards episode kind of thing from like five six years ago where it was like are we talking about in a vacuum because I I would always be like Splinter Twin's a bad card like that's a four mana aura so like that's not good but it's half of a infinite combo so Nothing's it's iconic and important Nothing is judged in a vacuum Yeah if you're talking about purely the most powerful card of the three it's Fable that's the best. Of those three cards, Fable is the best card by itself. However, you can't cast Fable and win. You can cast the other two and win. And Splinter Twin costs four. And Geeky costs well, you can five. win because you cast it. So, like, historically, I would say the best card is Splinter Twin. Like, it's the one that if, if all conditions are equal, it's the most powerful card. If you're talking about magic right now, what exists and just like the what I think, like the pound for pound bolts and nuts power... Fable is crazy. That card is very, very, very good. I mean, Fable is seeing play in Legacy right now. Splinter Twin isn't. Splinter Twin is legal in Legacy. If you had to choose, I would bet that if we unbanned Splinter Twin tomorrow, there would be still more decks playing Fable in Modern than they would that we would see Splinter Twin decks. What do you think makes Fable so good? Like I played against it three days ago. I don't play it in any deck in any format right now. I think I feel like I've sort of like. I feel like I'm late on the card. I know it's good. I just haven't really warmed up to it. Uh, it makes two threats. Uh, one of those threats ramps you, and the other one threats creates mad value. Uh, it draws you two cards uh, for three mana. It just does it does a lot of things. It does a lot of things for for pretty uh, minimal investment, right? And then like and it interact with different things at angles that are hard to interact with with the different removal in the format. It's sort of like at scale doing a Urza's Saga type of feel, like in terms of value. It's like that. I would say it's more value than Urza's Saga, right? It's like it's closer. It's closer to almost Lingering Souls. It's like the modern day Lingering Souls. It's not doing it from your graveyard, but it's doing it from play. Like you, you don't get the discard aspect of Lingering Souls, but you're getting multiple bodies over multiple periods that are hard to interact with. That makes removal kind of inefficient. That then gains you a lot of value. 
whenever this creature attacks, you get a treasure. So yeah. so you make a 2-2 two, two for 3 mana, right? So there you go. You start out, you make a 2-2 two, two for 3. The next turn, if your opponent has not killed it, which seems kind of dumb because like this card's going to create better threats they have to deal with. So probably your Fable 2-2 two, two is going to ramp you into 5 mana on turn 4. And then if you you know, let it flip. If you don't deal with it somehow, now you've got not combo splint or not combo Kiki, but like, let's be honest, Kiki has only won games of magic combo wise, like 70%, 60% of the time. The rest of the time is just like value. It's just a value card. Like it has haste. It comes down. It makes a copy of an ETB effect. And it's just generally good. Getting that as the, the ultimate version of your creature for one pretty powerful yeah and and here's why i bring this up so and beyond just for you know interaction in the comments likes and subscribes hitting that hitting that plus button um and that bell um but i bring it up because you know right now there was a big announcement uh by wizards on what the future of standard looks like and that is we're moving to a three-year rotation versus a two-year rotation there's apparently other changes that, that they're discussing and they're kind of working out the specifics, likely some version of tournament play that hasn't been really established. But uh, basically with Eldraine, instead of the sets of Kamigawa, Nukapenna, uh, and both Innistrads rotating out of the format like they normally were, we're going to have them for another year as we add the next run of sets, starting with Ix uh, uh, um, Wilds of Eldraine and Ixalan. And... A few things I think, one, it's funny, because I think the last time we went to Eldraine, there was a standard change, right? That's when they went back from Dominaria and twice a year rotation with the double block system to, because like Dominaria was supposed to be followed by a second block, and then we did Eldraine, or is that the year later? Uh, Dominaria, I think, was the year before Eldraine. Eldraine, no, no, Eldraine was 2019. Dominaria, Ravnica, Eldraine. Eldraine followed War of the Spark. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so, so Aldrain was the end of blocks, not the end of... Yeah, yeah you're right. Um, I apologize. So ignore what I just said. <laughs> Thank you, editors. Um, but, what's, what's you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, they've tried this before. We've done uh, standard modifications. The last time we did it was a shortening of it, right? It went from one rotation every year to two rotations a year, and that was a mistake, right? At first, it felt like, oh, that's a great idea. We're already used to rotation. Let's have this move faster. And then it just felt like no one ever was able to find their ground. Decks never really worked out. They then moved to, um, they've also tried super standard, which was closer to this. Now that was when they changed extended. So extended was a format that predated modern, uh, was I think the last 10 years. I, I don't remember what the original one was. Cause I, no, I extended it was, wasn't 10. It was like six or seven. It was like, yeah. No, because remember, it shortened to four. So I think it was like 10, and then they made it. F- so it was it was a long time, maybe eight. I think it might have been eight. It was going to be a multiples of, of two, right? So they, they uh, an extended amount, and then they changed it to the last four years. So then it became like super standard, which was actually one of my... I, I really liked that format. At the time, it was like a who's who of like... Cobblade versus Valakut versus fairies versus it was it was the it was almost more of a precursor to modern than extended was and it had but it the the problem ended up being and it was kind of the the template for the modern ban list it was a little bit too much of just a who's who list of the least favorite decks every person had from standard still being around and well, because we never really got rotation problem where like it was more expensive to buy into 
And so rotation made it more painful that it was four years long and hard, expensive to buy into if you weren't kind of in it the whole time. So now they're doing three years. Yeah, I mean, it's weird to think about how many years we've been discussing this on this podcast because, guys, newsflash, this podcast is going on 10 years pretty soon. So kind of wild. Uh, we've seen a lot of different iterations of standard in various formats that we've discussed on here, and they constantly try to adjust to accommodate the interest by players. I think the piece of this equation, obviously, that's the most notable that, that wasn't around in those old iterations is Arena. That's, <coughs> that's the number one thing that's changed the game. And I think you can go look and you can see the way that people get into magic and they play magic. And Arena is a really good product. I like it. I, I don't love the economy, but I like the product a lot. So I think that if you want to get into magic, drafting is great on Arena. I think taking your cards on there and playing whatever the most recent standard sort of experience is great. I think if you're going to spend the money on paper cards that have actual value, it's difficult to justify spending money on standard. That's the thing right now that's hard because prior to this announcement, standard has not really been a high demand paper format. Like it doesn't make you feel like those cards have any chance of really retaining any value because not that many of those standard cards make it to the, the, the eternal formats. I will say Pioneer has been great. Like that's a healthy format that's reminiscent of 2010, 11 modern. Uh, it's starting to kind of really feel like that. And so I think it makes standard cards that are good feel more important. But I just think overall, this move by Wizards is them, they're, it's them pivoting and acknowledging standard the way it's been, the way it has been always, or you know, similar version of by six months. That's not working anymore. People don't want to play that in paper. They want more optionality. If they're going to play that version, they can, they can draft, they can play whatever thing on Arena we're offering. Because we've established now that Arena is not the same thing look at alchemy and you look at the way it works it's 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 a whole different experience than paper magic well and and, and there's like interesting features though right in, in a lot of ways some of my favorite standards of all time are the last summer of a format or the summer of the format right where it's like they add that second core set that's supposed to build on the previous sets and you live in a world where you know like that that allows them to like be like okay you know what we know that the dinosaur set is rotating in three months so let's print like an overpowered two drop dinosaur that makes that deck playable for the last you know three weeks of the format right right, right like would be toxic otherwise or or you know we can print three mana vampire sore and knowing that the vampire set Ixalan's going to rotate at a standard but we're going to have like a three-month period where black white vampires is sick and that's one of the things wizards did say which was one of the reasons they want to make this change is the design cycle of a format right now. If I launch a standard set as wizards in the, in the fall, and I think like these four cards in our testing were amazingly fun. Like this, this card was the dopest card we made. What every standard deck anyone made with it just was like a blast to play with and against. And then it doesn't make it. For whatever reason, they like missed that this one other deck is going to be a bad matchup for it, or these combo of cards just eats that out of the format, or it's weaker to this removal spell they thought was weaker than it ended up being, and so it doesn't see play. But that deck archetype, if you maybe added a two drop to it that was strong enough, could be modified to be better. So now, if that deck is in standard for three years, Wizards, after seeing that Sekiro's released, has because because for those who don't know. A standard set normally takes around a two-year timeline between beginning of design and, and shipping. And so 
often you'll see wizards reactions to moments that happen in standard or modern whatever as they affect the steps they're making two years down the line but now they get that moment in standard if i'm like oh all of those six decks didn't work in th uh for innistrad that i wanted to make now not in in i now have the set that i'm designing now today that's going to come out in two years is no longer going to come out after that set rotates and therefore i can't affect it it's going to come out and supplement that theme to make it a little bit more exciting that also they kind of said is by making it a three-year format, the control mid-range world of the format is going to just be stronger inherently because the card pool is going to be bigger. Yep. Um, but because of that, that allows them to push individual set strategies a lot stronger with hopes that the format at large will be able to defend against it a little bit better. So instead of like... You know, oh, we just like put a bunch of spirits in, hoping spirits would be good in Kamigawa, and they didn't work. They could be like, oh no, we're gonna go hard. We're gonna come up with much more powerful things on these individual themes, seeding decks from individual formats from single sets, just out the gate a lot, a lot harder because we know that with a three-year format, the format's gonna be able to handle those a lot better. So if you feel like the, I don't think you feel like this, but the premier, the premier format that that magic players spend their money on is commander, right? That's here. Okay. That's the top. Sure. Beyond that, I think it's probably safe to say between arena and paper limited would be number two. It's extremely popular. People love it. You're probably dealing with an eternal format after that, like a modern legacy pioneer hybrid, those three together, maybe create the next tier. I, and think, then I, standard think just, I, I still think it's just straight up modern. I think it, I think it right now in list of popularity, it goes commander draft modern. And then, okay, so modern, then you have the, the, the next combination of, let's say, Pioneer, Legacy, Hybrid, whatever, because people don't it's probably Pioneer or Standard, right? Legacy is nowhere near like any of these, right? It's, it's, it's like a drop in the bucket. It's, yeah, I think, I think Standard and Pioneer are comparably popular, which is so, a lot, right? For, that's a big drop off for Standard. Do you think that this change elevates Standard in your brain? Like, do you see it differently after this change? Like, do you have hope? that it raises up higher or do you think it's just trying to maintain and not like lose any more blood, so to speak? It'll be interesting. I, I do think long run, it will make standard better. I, I always like wider, larger formats. I think the larger the card pool, the more interesting formats are. One of the problems I have always getting in the news TCGs is it's like, it always feels like I'm playing like kind of partially with a limited deck and standard right. builds that way. And it's kind of why I don't love limited a lot of the time. That's not cube. Cause I always feel like the stuff you're playing with is just like, I don't care about a two, one for two. I never right. will. <laughs> uh, and I do. I, I do for, li for both limited and uh, other formats. <laughs> and so I do think that is a strength. I think that if I were to pick what I thought were the two main reasons standard was floundering, I don't think this directly solves that problem, right? I think in one, one of the reasons I would say it hurts. And I think that reason gets better just as time goes on, though this makes yeah. it take longer, which is standard popularity was a function of the original buy-in model where you go to a store and you buy a few packs, you maybe buy a starter deck, and that's from that set. So that's all standard cards, but it's just like random cards. And you play kind of limited over a year, and over that year, you start building a collection with all of the staples from that year's worth of sets, and then rotation happens, and now you have the majority of staples out of the gate in standard. So then in year two of you playing Magic, you're now able, if without spending a lot of money, with like only drafting once a week or whatever, 
you now have a sizable standard collection that you're able to compete in tournaments with, right? That's like the standard way. Yeah, the old model, the old model. And COVID deleted that for the majority of new players for that experience, right? Now, if you're, you're, if you played or you started playing in Magic in that point, you didn't go to a store and get limited cards throughout the year. You kind of just skipped those two year periods. And so when COVID ended or came to whatever version of COVID we're in now, uh, you end up with not having the collection built to be able to make standard work from a grinding perspective. And so then at that point, what format do you get into? And then other formats that exist to then just exist. Like if I'm, if I have to straight up buy into standard, it is more expensive than straight up buying into pioneer. A pioneer deck costs four to $500. And then that deck never goes away versus a standard deck, which costs four to $500. And in three months is a totally different deck. My, my two questions are number one, it's obvious that that standard has become an arena format. And, and I think I say this because the people that have standard cards that draft the most are arena players. That's I draft on arena more than I draft in person. And I try to draft in person if I can once a week to do my best. It's, I probably end up twice a month, right? But like based on my schedule, whatever city I'm in, I'll try to go to like an FNM and draft and get some cards, which is fun. But if I want to draft consistently on my schedule as an adult, it's arena. So the cards that I have, the standard cards that I have accumulated for the most part are on arena. Now, I believe that if there was some conversion program, like there used to exist from MTGO, which there doesn't, there used to be like a redemption program where you could like trade in a full set, I think on MTGO to get a full set in standard, it might help, but I don't even know that it would because the person that wants to play standard who has done what you're saying, they've, they've played arena and they've kind of gotten into those packs they've drafted. It doesn't matter if they've done four drafts or 20 drafts. They're starting from zero in paper. Well, no, they, yeah, they, they, this, this, this environment has to exist in paper, right? And that's why like arena, the point of this is to get people to play standard again in paper, right? Cause, cause obviously people are still playing on arena. I don't think they have any issue with people playing standard on arena versus other formats. Um, my, I think, I think my point in saying it is that, if you wanted to try out magic, it's so much easier to try it digitally. And then you feel like you've invested and you've spent money. I think you would keep going and spending money there than feel like you're starting over. Even if you've only spent like 200 bucks, that's well, to me people, where it's well, like people are playing paper drafts. I mean, people are going to stores in person and drafting again, right? Like that model hasn't gone away and Moto existed through it. Again, like you could redeem off of Moto, but the amount of redemptions off of Moto was not Low. a percentage yeah. that was high enough yeah. to like really say like, yeah. that's a, a model of how people are actually entering in the formats. The, the, I mean, the, the other big one, which I think like that even speaks to itself is tournaments. And that's the other thing that hasn't been addressed yet. And I think they will. But, you know, before COVID, there was weekly Grand Prix. 50% of them were standard tournaments. Yeah. Uh, not to mention FNM, uh, PTQ season, where other than literally modern season, which was a like fourth of the year, every other tournament was either limited or standard. And all that's gone, right? And then it hasn't really been brought yeah. back in a real way. And I think that those would be the two things that I would point out as issues. And the three-year rotation change... The one thing the three-year rotation change does do is that just like the cards you get in standard last longer. I no longer, if I do draft for a few sets and then I kind of go do other things for a year and then I come back, that year gap is easier to buy into because the year I had before that still is around and is still viable. So the cards I have do last longer. Um, and I think, I think, you know, the, 
to be honest, I think the three-year change from Wizards' perspective is to see if they can mitigate the rotation feeling as bad as it did. So now if you're losing a third of the format, because right now you lose half, right? Or up to this point, you lose half. So that's 50% of the cards go away. Now if 33% of the cards go away, that means that 66% of the cards are sticking around. And on top of that, they feel like they can print more fun, powerful things into the format, which I think is going to be very interesting to see how that affects standard or pioneer and modern beyond that, right? Like in some ways it's doubling down on fire design saying like, Hey, when we were creating really cool, exciting stuff, the format felt like they were more fun and dynamic, even if they were sometimes too overpowered, we think there's a way to mitigate that in this way. And, 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 but that doesn't mean like, that era affected modern pretty heftily, right? Like if you look at the L war, the spark to <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ikoria era of magic, that's probably the most detrimental to modern uh, printing of sets. It of like time. almost, yeah, it like almost torpedoed modern. Yeah. I guess, I guess my point in bringing up the thing about arena is that it feels like if you're going to try to appeal to players who are playing in paper, you know that some number of the, pe the people who previously would have been your paper players have decided, I'm just going to do this on Arena instead of going and getting cards anymore, which means if you want to give incentive to the ones that are left, and there's new ones coming in all the time, obviously, but like incentive is your cards last longer, stay with paper, it's worth your time and money, and I think that's what this change is. I, I just, I don't see like in the exact same way that people are streaming movies and not going to the movie theaters, there's a certain number of people that won't want to get away from the convenience of their desk, like strictly. Like some people will not want to do it differently. And the more money they spend on that, the less incentive they have to leave it. Sure. And I don't, I don't disagree. I mean, like there is easily an argument that arena has murdered standard forever, right? Like that, that's, that's kind of the point you're making is that there's no way to fix it. Sure. That, that could be the answer to this conversation. I don't think it's, I don't think it's the answer. I just, I think it's notable that there are a certain number of the people that previously would have been there that won't come back. But there's new Magic players entering every yeah, day. Yeah, there's, there's so many more players. And I think I think the point is, and the conversation is, is, is Wizards' efforts to make standard appealing towards players again, is this the right way of going about it? Is this a good idea? Is how are they doing this the, the way you would do it? And more, more or less, are there other things they should be doing as well? And I think, I think to some point, your point is that like, I mean, I think one thing that people have said a lot, which is an economy helper for arena as well. And this is, I believe what Pokemon does is in every pack include a, as part of the advert card on the back of a token, just include arena codes. Yeah. I think and it, it could be, it could be for yeah. coins, right? It doesn't have to like, it could literally be like on the back of the card. Here's a code. You put it into arena and it can be coins, it can be gems, it could be wild cards, it could be specific cards, it can be full packs, right? Like you oh, can, sure, it can yeah. be randomized even. And I think that would help incentivize people to opening packs. Because um, I, I, I don't know, I mean, like everything is pointing towards Wizards isn't having a problem with getting people to buy standard cards, right? Like yeah. the, the they've continued to sell Magic the Gathering sets at higher and higher rates every year. So yep. the issue isn't, do people have paper magic cards? The issue is, will people then take those paper magic cards and put them into standard decks and go to the store and play with them? And I think Wizards is trying to allow people who own those cards to use them for longer. So there's a higher chance they might like, oh, I heard there's a standard tournament on this weekend at this place for this PTQ or this Dream Hack event. 
And oh, I guess I like do own a lot of Brothers War and Dominaria United and Phyrexia. And I like have most of the cards needed to play that really cool deck I saw where Shieldred and Liliana and, you know, then Folly are all playing together, which that's not a deck, but, you know, there's doing cool stuff. And I think, I think, to be honest, that first sentence is the most important that hasn't been announced, which is standard tournaments are back. The work running yeah. them every weekend in some format in PTQs and GPs and Grand Prix and Magic Cons and Magic Command Fests. And without that happening, the other changes, though, I think are nice. Like I liked overextended. I like that. But I don't think it is. A sol- I don't think that's the first solution. I, I think that is just the first solution they made a decision on because it affects them for the next three years of what they're going to do while the other stuff can ha- be rolled out over time. My my thought in general, and actually what I, I want to do is jump from this conversation in a second to the products available at retail. Like we talked about this a second yep. ago and I think, uh, I think it's an interesting conversation for us to have, but I do think there's a conversation to be had surrounding, okay, you play arena, right? You draft like a decent amount yeah, here and there. Okay. So for a hundred bucks, you can get the like max offering of gems they offer. That's like mm-hmm. a thing they do. You get a bunch of gems last you for a whole year, a box of standard draft packs, like 110, maybe I think on average at a retail store or something like that, give or take it's, it's right around there. Maybe it's a hundred, but point being, if they offered something on arena that was 200 bucks for, you know, the, more gems than a hundred and a, a one-time per account redemption code to get a draft box. Or there was a high number, like twice as many gems as you buy for a hundred, like literally two times the number to redeem for a booster box, not like a set, but just a sealed box. Something like that, that would incentivize players who are doing well at arena to be like, Hey, all these gems, I have all these points I have, or from in my case, I have like, 371 mythic wild cards and I don't play anything on arena other than limited. So like I want to be able to use all of the things I've gotten to do something. They could make it so bad for me. I could trade 300 mythic wild cards for like literally 36 draft packs and I'd be happy. I would thank them like like if they gave some because the point of that is what happens is they make it so that a digital player now wants to open physical cards. Now they have these cards. What do I do with them? I want to go to a store and buy other cards to I play. I don't think Wizards is having any issue with getting people to buy standard packs. I just think there's a way to get the players who are doing digital to want to go and use that experience in person and buy physical cards as well. Because one box is not going to make their magic career. It's going to make them want to buy more cards. Well, like I think I, that's I, guess, I guess my point is, is that like, I Why? don't see if I'm wizards, my goal is to keep the arena player investing in arena and find the new players who aren't buying into standard that were buying into standard, but are now buying into commander or pioneer or modern or draft. You don't think standard standard arena is a necessary crossover financially in their mind. Like they're, they're yeah. fine. To and, and in fact, I believe that they are not changing the, they're, they're keeping, I mean, maybe standard changes, but alchemy is still staying as a two year rotational format. The, the three year changes specifically a paper focused card format change. I think they're different groups. I think some of them are carrying over in the same way that commander players and standard players and commander player and modern players and, and modern players and standard players all have, you know, the, there are a bit of like, I am only a commander player, but there's often as many, I am a, I play magic in any yeah, way right, that right. you put in front of me players as there are is the only one format. And so 
I think like, I think, I think it's two things. I think it's one, if standard is more popular, the cards that are being printed into standard are more valuable, making it more like, like bringing more value to opening packs. And so their goal and mission to get standard to be more popular is to make it so stuff like marching machine or whatever, the value in the packs that you're getting aren't just centered around these premium edition stuff. And that to them is their goal, right? Their, their end goal actually. And I don't think giving arena players free boxes helps them on that goal at all. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I, I guess I, I guess I don't make the suggestion from the perspective of like Wizards is hurting and looking to solve a problem. I looked at it from the perspective of like, I think arena will exist always because it's convenient for the way that it exists for me, a guy that likes to go in person when I can. It's nice for me to be able to go and play magic and accumulate. I just end up with like these pieces of the economy that are useless to me. And I wish that they would find some way to reward my hours spent in some way, even if it was marginal, even if it was like 20% of what they should be worth in a way that I'd be like, gladly, <laughs> I'll dump, I'll dump the last year of experience for one tiny payoff that I see as what I actually want, as opposed to like, you know, what you'll give me. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. And I think the, the point there is almost like, there is an argument that it's possible to use the the issues with Arena's economy to make Standard more popular. Uh, and I don't even know if what we've proposed here is the best way to do that, but that idea isn't a bad one. But I do think just Wizards is like Wizards should solve the economy for Arena players for Arena players and make that player happier. Yeah, there. yeah should just make then, it better. Right? Like, hey, Arena player. Like, I think that, I think from a PR perspective, it's so much worse if they were like, hey, Arena players. It's like the bad wild card rate, right? When they was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 50 bucks for 10 wild cards or something. And it was like such a terrible rate to buy it that way. And it was actually, I think, worse than just buying $50 worth of packs because you would open that many gold wild cards just from that perspective anyways. And it's like they should just allow me to spend 25 mythic wild cards to join a draft. They should just right. like allow, they should just like allow the trade in. Yeah, yeah agreed. So, yeah, like, so yeah. on that note, uh, that's that's kind of like, that's like essentially the combination of factors that are, that are like a, contributing to in-person play in stores, buying standard packs, the arena economy, and how people see standard from a value perspective. Now, the products that are being released into this, a few years ago, there was a major change where packs started having three different versions uh, you could buy at retail. There was draft packs intended to be drafted. They're the classic 14 card plus token. Uh, like that's what you draft with at a store right now. Used to be the only version was a draft pack up until Throne of Eldraine. The only pack you could buy was a single standard version of a pack. Uh, set boosters, which are like a similar experience, but they're 12 cards. You get like an art card. There's usually one foil. There's always one foil. Uh, they're, I guess they're higher value from like a collectability perspective. They only cost like $3 more maybe. And then there's collector boosters, which the average retail is about 25 bucks. They're 15 cards. You get like one of every version of whatever showcase special printing. There's, they're all foil. You get like four or five rares. They're expensive and you can open really cool stuff. You, you should expect in a collector booster to open like one thing at least. That's really cool. Like a thing that looks awesome, you probably haven't seen. It's a special version of a card. That's like the experience right now when a new set releases of what is out there. Is and, there are three different versions, and 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 the idea behind it is it's 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 an initiative called Booster Fun, and there's actually a fourth one. It's it's the, it was Theme Boosters, and it's now Jumpstart that comes out with each set. 
Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is meant to be like beginner entry player opening this that you can immediately start playing with the cards if you buy two of these. It's, like, it's like a giveaway product. It's like it's like yeah, what they yeah. would give you if you showed up to a store or an event. Like, well, hey, no, here's it's not, it's, not, it's not giveaway. It is randomized pack, but it is meant to be like I can st- with these two packs together, I can start playing Magic immediately without having yeah. to build a deck or whatever it comes with lands and everything. But um, the point of you know the point of all of them is to make really was legitimately to make packs opening fun because they they realized they had a problem where like most people were buying draft boosters and the best thing to do with a draft booster is draft it and therefore you shouldn't open the packs and for prize support and for just encouraging people that want to open packs they increase the value of worth doing it right opening up a set booster is a better ev than opening up a draft booster because you have two shots at a rare you always have a chance of getting a premium style card out of it and you often get a chance of getting a card from the list, which are valuable reprint cards. And all of that doesn't work for limited. Like you can't use set boosters to do a draft with. And the way that the packs are seated, so they're a little bit more thematically linked to each other, make them bad for drafting. But they're great to feel opening. Like when I've opened up boxes of set boosters, often when they're tied to something like a... um Mystical Archive sheet, where like everyone comes with a cool Japanese Mystical Archive card or everyone comes with a Japanese Alter Art Planeswalker like War in the Spark. That's felt great. Uh, and then and then collector booster obviously are meant to be opened. And often like the value on opening a collector booster is much closer to the cost of the booster. Like you're you're often much more likely to like hit flat EV. That's not true of every set, but by opening a collector booster box, then you would a set booster box or a draft booster box. The, it's it's there's more value per pack, and especially when you open the Modern Horizons ones, or this is the idea originally, at least Modern Horizons or Double Masters, very expensive to open them. But your like chances of getting foil fetch lands or Ragavans or the crazy stuff that was in Double Masters mitigates the cost in a way that makes it really exciting and really fun to open. Um, I jokingly say that, like two of these are really made just for people that crack boxes for making content on the internet um, because it's way more fun to open up a collector booster on a TikTok or on a, on a YouTube video than it ever is to open up a draft booster. Yeah, um, for sure. I, I would say there are there are two significant moments in the history of magic printing, like the, in terms of like the product they're printing that we open. Um, there has always been a, a standard company line from Magic, which is that we don't acknowledge the secondary market. Uh, the reserve list, I guess, is probably the earliest example of them acknowledging it by not acknowledging it, which is that we're going to you know, not reprint these cards. And this means that you can have confidence. But after that, secondary market, it's up to you guys. Everything past the reserve list is free reign, right? Like that's kind of what the whole idea was. So up until 2013, when Return to Ravnica was released, there was this kind of running theme. You and I used to talk about this a lot. If you bought sealed product and you just like sat on it, just like put a case in your closet, five years would pass and you would make 50%. Like it would go up. They always did. They just like, there for whatever reason, you could buy magic product, you could sit on it and there would be some combination of factors. They just knew the math problem when they were printing the cards where they would go up based on the value of the old packs and the cards involved. Return to Ravnica 2013 happens. And from that point forward, and this is not like a myth, guys, you can go look at like search any set after 2013 on TCG player versus any set before it. You're going to find overwhelmingly the cost of a pack after 2013 is about five bucks, might be like eight bucks, but it's like almost the same price as the print prior to that. 
almost every single pack is 10 to 50 to 100 to 500, whatever. Like it's a whole different experience. So that 2013 moment is a clear cutoff where I think it was just the amount of product perhaps that was printed. That might be what it was. I don't exactly know like why, but it's just the product is so much more available. The second one is Throne of Eldraine, which is late 2019, when they introduced exactly what we just talked about, collectors, set, and draft boosters, where now when you buy something, the expectation of what you open is no longer, I could open anything. We know today, if you open a March of Machine draft pack, you can't open a serialized magic card. We know that. If you want to play the lottery, you will not open a draft pack, which up until 2019, the case was always open a pack. You could open the best, card, the best card in the set. The best foil rare in the set could be in your hands. They have priced you out now if you open a draft pack. So the game is different. And it's very interesting if you look at the products they're releasing because, because of the fact that in those different editions of printing and specifically in the serialized cards, Wizards has basically acknowledged if you want something cool, you can spend more. If you want to have a good magic experience of playing the game, you can spend less. They're comfortable saying that in the product. It's it's kind of acknowledging the secondary market without actually acknowledging the secondary market. Because let's talk about Aftermath, the set that was just released. It's it's literally the newest set. I think it's a misconception that people have that Wizards doesn't acknowledge the secondary market. Well, they say it though. It's like it's a company line. Like they they don't where investigate the secondary market when printing. That's they do though, and then, in fact, they've kind of said that they do. Right? Like they know they've stated like we look at we understand what value there is in secret layers we print. We understand what value is. I think there's like, and maybe it was from way back in the day they had a, a company line where they like they don't acknowledge the secondary market. They don't discuss it publicly. Like they're not like we're going to talk about the pricing of cards that we put them in. Sure, and they sure. outright said like we consider the cost of reprints at there's repoint equity is a thing they talk about, right? Like that is a conversation they have and that is literally acknowledging it. So I think th that is a misconception. I do, but I do think I agree that they are thinking of these things when they're printing these cards, when they're coming up with these sets, when they're thinking of doing these things, they're they're They understand what's going into it. And, and there are other issues where like, for instance, they weren't allowed to call the expeditions treasures. Do you know this whole story? No. Because treasure no. is too associated with gambling in countries. Interesting. So they were originally going to call them. I think they called the ones in Zendikar, the, like the old cards they seeded in treasures, and they got in trouble. They got their wrist slapped. So oh, like the forward, old they stopped whatever. calling. They had to come up yeah. with different names that wasn't like currency related to make it because otherwise it, it ends up being too related. So there are, there are things you can step on. Um, and, and getting into Aftermath, I think Aftermath is really interesting. Uh, I literally tweeted before the podcast, like, did you buy Aftermath cards? And it's like 72% no, 28, 29% yes, right? And yeah. this sense really fascinating to me. In some ways, I think it's really cool. And I think it sucks that it's kind of getting a little bit of the hate. A, it sucks that the whole leaking thing happened. And I don't even know if we've talked about stuff with like... Pinkerton all, and all that. Yeah, the Pinkerton <laughs> stuff. I don't want to get into that at all. But like, honestly just stop commenting on people's videos about the Pinkertons anytime they post something that's not related to it. Uh, but, you know, the that's regrettable and definitely, like, killed a little bit of the hype for it. But, like, 
this set does two things to me. Three things, really. This is a post-credit scene. Wizards looked at Marvel movies and was like, what's the hype thing at the end of their big things? It's the shawarma scene. It's the thing setting up the next big story. It's like showing a little bit of the, like, what are the characters doing just after it that we weren't able to touch on? And that's what this is. And it's it's just kind of weird. Like, I almost wish this was released as like a, like a bundle secret layer or like a starter deck where you could just buy all 50 of these cards together. Like, because then as randomized pack where there's only 50 cards in it is like a very weird product for people to buy into. What's funny is literally that guy bought, the guy who leaked it, revealed every single card in the set from opening two collector booster boxes. Which are less There's only 50, there's only 50 cards, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only 50 cards. So, like, you could get the entire set in two boxes of collector boosters. Now, the value of it, because of that is low, right? Like, the only, like, Nissa is the most expensive card at $40 for the old border version. And then it, like, drops to a few $10 things. Yeah, the yeah. Old there's, there's, there's Rattler's card. I think, I think for me, when I think about this set, there are a couple of things that come to mind that are very clear. Number one, the idea of this being a post credit scene, which obviously is, that's your that's your theory. It's not like this was announced that way, but, like, no, I, I hear is. your... No, no, it was it, actually announced as a post-credit scene. Yeah, yeah, this is an epilogue post-credit scene. Like that is what this is. They they have admitted to it. I mean, like they haven't said this is like the post-credit. No, no, that's, scene that's, that's what I'm trying to say. They didn't they didn't liken it to that. It's it's called aftermath. So I I I agree with your comparison. When I say that about the post-credit scene, what I mean is, as a fan, when I go to a movie and I see the post-credit scene, ninety percent of the time it enters and leaves my brain in like thirty seconds. And, and sometimes they're relevant. Sometimes it's like very cool. And often they're like kind of cute. And like, it's not a thing that when I think about the effort that goes into designing and releasing and promoting an entire magic set would warrant the full release of a set. It warrants like a promo card or two, but not something that we're going to talk about as a released product. That's like where I think the misconception is on their part. This should have been a box topper. You get a random one. And then they also give it away as the, the premium winning on a Friday night magic, the promo, the store gives away is a random one. Like that's what this should have been is like something cool and exclusive that you can only get if you're getting cool cards from like premium editions during this time, but never a product that I walk in. I went into my store three days ago and talked to my guy and I went, huh? Aftermath collector boosters, huh? And he goes, yep. Are those selling? And he goes, ah, not really. <laughs> and I go, he goes, well, it's only five cards. And I was like, you get five cards a pack? He's like, yep. And I was like, those are going to be around for a while. And he's like, ah, oh, we'll see. He's like, ah, okay. <laughs> oh, so, I mean, like, and by the way, it's called, the actual official title of the set is March of the Machine, the Aftermath Epilogue Booster Display, right? So an epilogue versus a post-credit scene, but inherently that's the same thing. Uh, but, um, I agree with you. I, I don't think it could have been a box topper because these have to be standard legal cards that are new, right? These are all new things. And it is a pretty significant thing that's happening. I think like the decision to make it a 50 card set versus a larger set, like they could have added an extra 50 cards because there's more story I wish we were seeing that we're not seeing that would have made it more exciting, more expensive to make, but we're paying for it. So I don't think that's an issue. As I said at the beginning, like it could have just been like a, a legacy card or like, you know, like the historic anthologies that they did where you buy like for $13, 
or for 15 bucks, you get 13 cards and you get the exact 13 cards. It's not a randomized pack, right? Just like a standard deck list. That's all standard legal cards, brand new. Here's the epilogue, one of each character, go have fun. Like a commander deck, basically, without the playability. I think obviously the story is a big deal, right? Like they've they've emitted with mystery behind it, which is what the epilogue is and what post-credit scenes are Marvel movies, right? They're often not the plot of that movie, but it's here's the ramifications of that in another set that's setting up the next big story. For instance, Thanos grabbing the gauntlet and saying, fine, I'll do it myself. Right, I'll do it myself. Yeah, yeah. Right, or like uh, Thor's best friends dropping off the 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 red... Um, the reality gem, the Aether at the collector, the collector being like, we don't want to hold on to this because we already have one Infinity Stone and you want to keep them separate. And I was like, oh, they're Infinity Stones? What's, you know, it's up to right. this is all of the Planeswalkers, not all the Planeswalkers, but the majority of Planeswalkers are losing their spark while the ability to travel between planes is being left as a permanent option for characters. And we think this is why that's happening, but we don't know why. You know, we, we think it's because between the Silex Elsbeth blowing that up in the blind eternities and the world breaker at the same time puncturing the room, the, the, the walls between realities permanently has altered the way planeswalking and sparks work, but we don't have confirmation. It's speculation. It's even placed as speculation. There's a bunch of characters. We don't know if their sparks are still around. And you know, those are real story ramifications that you need kind of a thing to represent that. And it's going to mean something moving forward. The other part, that it's kind of signifying is this is the end of planeswalkers being the main characters, right? We give up. <laughs> Brawl yeah. is an unsuccessful format on, on arena. Uh, the rules committee has held strong in their anti planeswalkers as commanders uh, uh, ruling four years after that became a real conversation. And two years after we kind of all gave up this set's coming out. So it's like very directly linked to the moment that two years ago, everyone was having strong conversations about like, should planeswalkers be commanders? And now Omnixilis and Nyssa and Karn and Narset and Sarkon are legendary creatures, but they can still travel between planes. They're no longer stuck. So if you wanted to tell a multi-year, multi-set story about Sarkon, he could travel from Tarkir to Amonkhet to Ravnica, but he's a legendary creature now. He can now be the center of attention in your commander game, as well as the center of attention on our story, which is interesting from a story perspective. The other thing that I think is interesting is I think... And it, in some ways, it's sad that it's a failure. And I'm interested to see the lesson that Wizards takes from it, because I think that a 50-card standard expansion is fascinating. It's a great idea, right? I, I, you get, I not, you get the idea of like being able to like add a small thing, like to just like spice it up, is like a, is worthwhile, right? Right? Like 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 the fact that this doesn't have to be a uh, a balanced limited format. You don't need to do the effort of the 200 card set where 150 of the cards need to be designed and balanced and tested for standard. Like the fact that they could just like hyper speed 50 cards through a standard gauntlet uh, and see what that does and be like, Hey, okay, we need a set that comes out in June. Uh, That set's job needs to be, Hey, standard has these strengths and weaknesses and these problems. And we want to be able to hyper target, fix it. And we want to be able to do it on a year timeline. This set is perfect to do that. And it, and is a really, really easy way to do that. It just, I wouldn't do it as a five card booster pack that's selling only 50 cards in the set. I feel like there's gotta be a better way to distribute it. I feel like you're, you're like, uh, explaining very logically and reasonably to the audience 
a concept that any old magic head sort of knows, which is Homelands was eight cards. Fallen Empires was eight cards. Chronicles was eight cards. And those all failed. They're all bad sets. And the idea that as the years have passed and we look back at those sets, we want to pick them up and do something with them. You and I have to buy two of those packs to even use them in a chaos draft. We have to like work harder to kind of justify their existence in the context of using them later on. Otherwise, opening them is useless. A five card booster pack in my brain, I'm like, this is going to be cool as it exists for this exact moment at its best. But in three years, I'm going to pick this up and be like, what is this? This is not like a normal magic thing. It's like this weird, like, I don't want to open this for that reason. So I guess I'll just buy it and open it if there's value. But otherwise, I'll never open this. It'll just this product will just exist forever and I'll never do anything with it. Well, but we talked earlier that, that, you know, Wizards is working at coming up with reasons to open packs that, and this is better than Homelands, right? Like, they're, the cards in this, they're all, like, these cards will be worth money in two years, in a way that Homelands never was. And because it's, and, and because it's like, seldom opened, because people don't like it, it'll probably be, there'll be, like, one or two cards that are actually going to go up. I just have a hard time in my brain believing you and me in 2027 will be at Magic Fest, Magic Con dallas or whatever and we're gonna be like oh yeah we'll buy three packs of aftermath and throw that into our chaos draft because that's cool it'll just be like you don't, I don't you, know. are you saying you don't think we'll do that because i will i would bet you five thousand dollars that we do that <laughs> uh, he's, he's probably right there's just a part of me that gets annoyed looking at it it feels it just feels that this like hyped when we find a homelands pack in a night and uh, and uh I look, and, i've uh, got them in my closet right, right now right. You're, you're, look, you, you don't correct. think we're gonna just, stack three of these boys in front of a player and be like not only do you get to open up one pack but you're opening up three in the same round like that's there's three and there's three rares the I'll, values I'll, I'll bet you ten thousand dollars we do that in 2027 actually actually it's not even isn't, isn't it like all rares isn't it like 15 rares or something no it's, it's, it's not it's like two rares i think but it's like it's, it's three of these. No, I don't. I don't believe there are there are there are uncommons and commons of the set. So there, it's not just all rares. In I think it's two rares. I think I think if you were to open three of these, that particular seat would have six rares at yeah. least. Like, but but my point is, what this this set is doing three things. It's doing three things well. It's just doing the fourth thing badly. It's doing a really cool story beat, right? It's evolving the story from where it was. I wish it was doing it more so. Like the fact that we only got two written stories for a set that ostensibly exists as a story set is kind of laughable but it is furthering the story and setting up the major stories and conflicts moving forward i like just this set existing and the concept that no sparks are having i could tell you 17 things that are going to happen in the next two years from azor being able to escape back to ravnica causing a civil war in ravnica to happen to the fact that sarkhan is stuck on tarkir making tarkir maybe a central feature as he tries to recreate the cons and the clans that were originally you know like all these things that could happen yeah two you know so it's setting up story decently. Two is it's adding supplementary standard product cards into standard to be able to modify what the standard environment looks like on a much shorter timeline than a normal standard set has. So you're yeah, able to cool, affect yeah. what standard looks like instead of banning cards, just like basically doing what uh, uh, alchemy does, right? And what, what historic does on arena. But instead of digital only cards that just like maximize rng and do weird things it's here's a here's a two drop for you know mono black vampires that didn't make it there because we didn't print a good two drop so the aggro deck didn't work or whatever right um, and then the third thing it's doing is 
pretty much a commander card, right? Like every one of these things is a cool legendary creature that's going to be a cool commander that we're going to see moving forward. The thing that's right. doing badly is providing value. And and to your point, like not being a draft set is a seventy five percent of why people open packs. Sixty yeah. percent of why people open packs. And I I agree that that is a big miss. I would hope they do stuff like this in the future. I don't dislike this set existing. I dislike that it's packs, I guess, is where I've gotten to. I I have two thoughts. I think um, every point you made actually is really sound. I think that the idea that introducing new cards to standard is valuable. True. I think that's really cool. I think they like the way they're doing it. uh, If this was to work and players were to like it would be great. I've played standard formats, having a little shot in the arm six weeks later, four weeks later would have been great. Um, for me, the, the place that this really exists is number one, we disagree sometimes on the player base and their attention span for story. Uh, I think more people are interested in story than I probably have classically acknowledged. However, I do think that there are a certain component of magic players who kind of pay attention to a new expansion comes out at this time and I'll buy it. And this thing, like, like, like the way my brain registered, this was oh, the next expansion got leaked. Like they they leaked the whole next expansion. And then when I was in Minnesota, one guy was like, my buddy did the event. He actually got Aftermath packs. And in my brain, I was like, oh my God, that's, he stole the packs? Like, I was like, I was like, this is so bad because like they got leaked. That's what my brain was doing. It's the whole next set, right? I was like, they couldn't be out this soon. I didn't even realize that it was 50 cards and this was supposed to come out that weekend. I had no idea what it even was until post- Minneapolis like it's so abnormal that I my brain didn't go to the place of this is relevant for like a story perspective it was like there's a 50 card set coming out what even is this I don't understand it doesn't I mean it, other than other than legitimately only limited this is important for every other version of enjoying magic even if you don't care about story right like it's adding if you only care about commander there's like 50 commander cards in this if you only care about standard or modern it's adding 50 new standard and modern and honestly more focused powerful cards for standard and modern than normal if you only care about um story obviously it's important for story if you if what you care about is limited fine i'll like that i agree it does there's no relevance to a limited i know i I wouldn't say that i would say look your, your point totally plays for me which is like my only argument here is that magic sets have been released in 15 card booster packs for so long that when a product comes out that is like in packs, I'm usually just sort of going to assume that it's just a 15 card draftable stand, like, 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 like standard legal format, unless they specify otherwise, this is a 15 card non-standard format. So a five card format is just, I guess somehow I missed this was happening. That's the only thing for me is that it doesn't feel intuitive as a magic fan feels sort of strange and i didn't really know what to make of it like i didn't know what to do with it it was like 30 years later we have our first five card set and it's because of the story is why this is justified the cards are cool i looked at them they're they're awesome i like car and i like a lot of the cards but it's just i i didn't like it being leaked i think was more complicated i just feel like when i watched the videos of people opening packs. Yeah, I think I think the leaking of it also hurt that conversation, right? Because instead of us talking about 
here is a limited weird set. There are only five cards per pack. This is what you're getting out of it. This is what it is. Here's every single card being previewed over a two-week period with conversations about what this means. It was, oh, this whole set got leaked. Was it the whole set? How many cards didn't get leaked? There's the first leak video that had 30% or yeah. 30 of the cards. And then the second video that had 20, the, the remaining 20. But if by the time the 30 video, you already were like, I'm not watching any of this or looking at any more leaks, you then like forced your brain to ignore all information about Aftermath being talked about at that point. Then not to mention any video made post that was more about the Pinkertons being included than actually yeah, what the so product ridiculous. was. So the discourse around this set's release, I think, did more to harm your awareness of, or many players' awareness on what this product was than, to me, that's what I think, like, it being a story-focused set doesn't, because so is Aftermath, so is All Will Be One. Like, every story, every main standard set is a story-focused set. I would argue that the storyline thing that is happening in this set that's significant that maybe gives it a reason to exist is just as mechanical in the sense that they're moving from five planeswalkers a set to one planeswalker every two sets right that like that who cares about characters that is a card type that now in standard is going to be significantly reduced in quantity than before i feel like i feel like looking back at this in a few years what's going to actually happen a Alex and Ben will be like, let's stack three of these in a chaos draft. Sick. And then Ben will give me five thousand dollars. It'll be very expensive. Uh, B, it will be. Oh, actually, that aftermath set that was leaked that was like kind of a weird thing. That was the end of Planeswalkers in, in in large quantity. We didn't really get them after that. That was like a huge thing, and it happened, and it was in a weird moment. But it actually matters way more than you realize. Oh, aftermath was like a turning point in Magic, as opposed to like this weird five card expansion. I think those are both probably true things given your description. I I, I think that's I think it's fair. I think and, like and, and like it going along with the new standard rotation, right? Like it's interesting how much this episode is going to be about standard, but with the standard rotation changing and then in the moment that that happens, they invent a standard buff uh you know, a buffing uh mechanic to the format where right. it's like, "Oh, we need to buff these strategies or we need to nerf these strategies it's a it's a it's a dev blog in the middle of a standard rotation as a as a product is interesting and i'm fascinated to see if we get more i would be very surprised if we do not get more here's a small list of cards being printed in a standard yeah i don't think we'll ever i think i think aftermath is sure and and it's hard though because i also can see wizards being like this product did decently. The problem with this product is not that it had sell through, but that our marketing plan got totally destroyed by the this whole issue. And so I, I'm I'm fascinated to see how this goes forward. I think their awareness of scarcity is too high to count on something like this to be the reason that cards get introduced. I feel like there's so much more equity in the idea that like we can control scarcity and people get excited about it. And we're seeing it in all the other versions. We're seeing it in whether it's collector boosters or secret layers or like time passes as soon as these things are released and all of a sudden people just like love that they exist. They have them. They're rare. They're cool. They're the cool version. I don't know if this was the thing that they do that adds cards to standard. It feels like to me, there's a way to do it. That's not just a readily available product at retail. It's a slightly different experience. But that's that's what standard needs to be. Standard products need to be readily available at retail. Like the, 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 in fact, if Wizards has said anything, it's like they want 
Like that's like collector boosters exist because they make standard cheap as 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 hell. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like I just, I just think I just think that like the idea, for instance, of if you want products readily available at retail and you want like people to like them in standard and be excited about them, if you can just buy them in booster packs, like you just like pay whatever five bucks, six bucks, four bucks, whatever it costs, and that's all it takes to get the card. There won't you won't create the same kind of de- scarcity demand that exists with every other magic product and every other format and standard. And I don't believe every point that every product ever printed. I just think Wizards wants it. It feels like when I watch the releases of product, it doesn't feel like they want every version of every card to be available in like the regular pack. I guess yeah, I mean there there are aftermath epilogue collector boosters, so I guess I'm kind of stepping on myself here. There's probably what? like the cool version you can get, but like like yeah, like yeah. like literally every commander deck is just a standard list of cards that you can get from that set, right? There's no variation to it. It's sold at Walmart and Target. Like it's not like if I wanted to get Dockside Extortionists during the era where that commander product was out, I just had to go to a store that had the blue white red commander deck that Dockside Extortionist was in. It was oh, a readily available card to buy. Wish I could do that right now. I <laughs> yeah, I own zero. I own zero of them. Uh, and like it could very easily be a supplementary set or even like like whatever the next set after has aftermath boosters included in commander you know there's ways to release product like this that is interesting that they can do the point though being the goal of it being in standard is is an important feature to the set that i think that is that's a thing being missed in the conversations i've seen around it and i, I don't disagree with you a randomized booster pack is something that people like more maybe you include 15 cards and you just bite the bullet Maybe it's their, like, because basically what they've done is they printed set boosters and collector boosters with less cards in them. But most yep. of the cards, I will tell you, this is a stack of cards right next to me that is all from collector boosters. And this is the stack of cards that I don't care about from one box. I know. Boosters. I know. I, I, like, I, I, I've said trash. this to you before. So if I care about every card, which, well, going through the Aftermath cards, I care a lot more about these cards than these cards. I've said to you before that when I go to these events... We end up going and packing our bag and I mean, I know you do the same thing I do. I pack it is so full. My clothes, every deck I can bring, my binder, there is, (laughs) there is, there is no breath for anything. So we go and we open packs and we open collector boosters and like swag bags for creators and all that. And then in the end, I have a stack that's this high of cards that I have to deal with. And obviously the rares are this high, but like the stack of foils and stuff are like this high. And I'm like, I physically could like put these in my pockets on the airplane. I don't know how to bring these home. And like I could ship them, but most of these commons and uncommons, they're not worth enough to ship. So what ends up happening is I give them away to people at the show and whatever I open on the last night, I leave in my hotel room, like not and it's everything other than obviously the, the you know the rares the uncommons the the stuff but like what that box you showed me is probably that stuff and that's that's frustrating because like i feel like when i'm opening this coveted product this really cool collector product when i first started opening those products like i think you and i had the same experience right modern horizons 2 was the first like major collector booster experience i opened like Two collector booster boxes. I paid my dollars. It was a big investment. It was expensive. Those were those were not cheap boxes. Like they, I was so excited as a as a like a modern guy. Like I was like, there's fetches and there's like ignoble hierarch and there's like all these sick cards that I want to open. 
And the opening experience was so cool. All the etched foils and like the full arts and everything, right? Like it was just epic. It was so good. And then I look back at what they're worth now. And I think about opening like more of that right now. And it's like, yeah, but the premium sort of printing thing has reduced the cost of most things. I have four ignoble hierarchs of every version in foil. And they're worth $3 each. <laughs> they're not even in my good binder. They're not even like the in my like trade binder. They're in my like kind of trade binder. They're like, let's like make up a trade with it, you know? Like they couldn't, I couldn't justify like no one's going to trade for this really because it's not, it doesn't have enough value because like they printed so much of this. That's the weird thing about opening magic product now. And this kind of, this circles back kind of the whole conversation we've had tonight regarding sealed product and the way cards are printed. I think overall collector boosters are great. We haven't talked about, you know, Lord of the Rings or serialized at all. Uh, it's been talked about online a lot. You know, there is a one of one ring being opened in the Lord of the Rings set. That's going to be so much money. There's lots of serialized cards in, in, in uh, March of the Machines, the more, you know, 500 copies of each. And they're very expensive and they raise the ceiling of every pack that gets opened so that the halo foil you open or the etched foil you open, unless it's like a chase card is not worth very much today. I can't speak to five years from now, but I can speak to today. There's enough of these printed. There's a high enough demand. Players like collector boosters were kind of dealing with the same thing that I mentioned earlier in the show happened in 2013 Return to Ravnica with premium magic product. Like it's the same. It's the, it's, it's the exact same concept. It's it's that they recognized that people wanted to buy them. They were going to print them to scale and you were going to buy hoping to open in that case foil steam vents. And now you're hoping to open serialized Elishnorn. And what happens is it, it, it doesn't mean that what you open from like a I love magic, this foil card that is sick is sick. Like I have three Halo foil juries. I have a deck with that card. I didn't even I didn't even own a real one. Right. Like that's such a cool for me. My brain, if Alex was like, hey, never going to tell you where this came from, what it's worth. Halo foil jury. I'd like this is so sick. This is the sickest thing ever. I had to throw one of them away. I owned three. I couldn't bring it home. It's worth 40 cents. There's no value to that card other than it's just cool. Like I have a couple and my deck is complete I mean, and I never need another one. Yeah, I would. I would. Well, first, you could have gotten a play set because like, come on, you might play that in standard at some point. But sure, eventually. Uh, it's not an insane mod. Like to, I could imagine Ben Bateman showing up being like, I came up with a jury modern deck. Get yes, right. yeah, yeah, fair. Especially because like you yeah. could use the legendary rule to kill one to like trigger the death trigger so you could do damage. You know, uh, mistake. No. I made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, first off, I don't need everything that I care about in Magic to be worth money, right? I, like, if I have a cool... It's one of the reasons I like the new, the new way basic lands work, right? Like, most of these basic lands that I'm looking through on my desk, which are, like, foil, you know, full art stuff, yeah. are amazing and gorgeous, and they're worth nothing. That's fine, right? Like, it lets you kind of decide what you're going to look like that's cool. Um, yeah. So the fact that, like... You know, you would go back and forth. Like, it's cool that this jury that I own is super expensive, but it's also cool that I can have this really cool jury and it costs me nothing. Like, a kid that doesn't, you can give one of those juries away to a kid at a store and not be like, I just gave that kid 20 bucks. It's like, I give him 40 cents. 
and there's and and she's super excited, right? Like she, this is the card oh, that crap. she wanted, yeah, so yeah. it's it's it it allows them to be hyped. Um, just like thinking, I, I think maybe an answer is like to aftermath says is, and and maybe it's an answer to the the original problem too, which is like if standard doesn't rotate for three years, the cards become much more expensive from the third set, right? Like that was always a problem, like standard cards from the winter set a year later or in spring become super expensive because it's like one of the leader less opened versions of the different standard sets and it's now a year and a half since people are opening it so getting cards for it is a lot harder especially if like a card that was good now wasn't good back then like stoneforge right. mystic was right where like swung into being really powerful you know that's always a challenge and maybe what the answer is is just like include the aftermath stuff but then like just reprint stuff in the same packs for standard just like make like a make it like a like a double like a, a modern masters but it's like standard map uh, standard horizons where it's a bunch of standard cards and maybe a cool limited format that's fun to play with 50 new cards at rare mythic and uncommon seated into there and then people can draft it or whatever but it's just like they're to reprint some cards that maybe need a little bit more access while also adding 50 new cards. I realized I just described what a core set is. <laughs> you did. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, like they, <laughs> I like what they do with the commander cards in collector boosters. I think that's one of the more clever things they've come up with in a while where there are the commander decks and they're cool. And then they have foil and alt art versions of those cards that are in the commander decks that show up as rares in the collector boosters where there's a reason to open the collector booster. Like it's cool. You can get like the special version of a card that you otherwise knew about. And to me, that's like, that's like a nice synergy where I could see something similar happening where I feel like the idea of a small set, small set existing, and that set being important to standard, but like, like I almost feel like in some ways aftermath shouldn't have had collector boosters. Like if that almost feels like that would have been the answer if they had just had a limited number of regular, like they didn't do draft, they didn't do anything other than just set boosters. And they're all just 12 cards. They're cool. What you open is cool. And if you want to get those cards special, they, they like could have shown up in collector boosters printed after a certain date which is obviously very or, complicated or, or just like like uh in set boosters right now in a set booster there's one spot in the deck that is a randomized card from the set that could be cool the cool art variant in foil right you don't need it or, in a they, could do, or they could do set boosters and then in wilds of eldrain which is going to come out in like a month they could just make the collect like like the extra card like the the, the rando sheet Aftermath card. Yeah, but that's like what they're doing with the universes. You can't, then, then you're going to have the walk because the walking dead cards are going to be in Eldraine. Oh that's going to be confusing. Um, yeah, I guess my, 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 my point, because, because we're, we're running long. I think we're going to yeah. wrap up here in a second, but I, I guess my point is that the, the whole conversation from this is based on the idea that magic right now, when you open a booster pack, like what is offered to you at a store is a very different experience than it was a few years ago. Uh, it's a good experience to open packs, I think overall right now, I don't think it's like a lot of feel bads, but I still think that it there's a misconception about value. Um, 
you know, we do stuff at major events with chaos drafting. We've talked about this on here before. It's like a passion of mine. I love it. Chaos drafting, for those that don't know, is, you know, you take a bunch of old packs, you combine them together, and you and your friends draft a bunch of different sets. And what I like to do is curate those sets. So in Minneapolis, um, we were going to do it together. Cast ended up having to stay home to be with his son, because you know, he's obviously a, a, a wee tot. Um, but uh, Gavin and Shivam and I did this really cool panel where we opened packs and gave the packs away and talked about the history of magic with a bunch of cool packs like Ravnica and, you know, Future Sight and Rise of the Eldrazi and Collector Boosters and Ice Age and M10, all these fun packs. So um, what it brings to mind for me is I have such a deep kind of awareness now of the secondary market of sealed product. And as I mentioned a couple times tonight, Rise of the Eldrazi, sorry, not Rise, uh, Return to Ravnica 2013 and earlier is really where like Magic Card packs have that classic draft pack of value. People want to buy it to re-experience that they want to buy it because it just the foil version, the pack foil of a card was worth something. Time has passed and things have changed. There are different editions now, different versions of cards. Um, so the opening of a pack is different and the value of a pack is different. And I think that when we talk about aftermath and the future of opening product, it's notable to acknowledge that now, like in those days, the RTR days, secret layers didn't exist. You couldn't buy a direct product that gave you a cool, fancy foil version. We didn't have four versions of every card. Commander decks had just been introduced in 2013. They were like a one to two years earlier. They were they were new. They're like 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 the, the awareness by wizards of how cards were going to be consumed, collected, and stored was not what it is now. And so I just think that when you as a player go to buy a pack of magic cards. Your experience is up to you. You can buy for value, which is where more of like the collector booster experience probably exists. Maybe like if you buy a commander deck that comes out, it's a good bet you'll get your value. Long term, they're they're pretty well like curated. Those decks tend to have stuff that will hold up. Uh, you won't if you buy weird random products like 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 aftermath is a good example of something where it's like just because it's the new set doesn't mean it's going to be at value you might but it's unlikely a draft pack probably not the more you spend the better the value is the less you spend usually the more it's a gamble and that's that's kind of life but that's kind of the the general version of magic i would say it feels like it feels like that's kind of how magic exists nowadays I can't say that buying a secret layer is like always valuable. I mean, you've bought a lot of them. Some are great. Some are not, right? Yeah. Um, and I generally, I've been pretty happy with secret layer purchases. And like someone did a report on like, there's like six that aged badly as far as value goes and make sure to buy the basic land ones. Um, but we are, we are, I think, running long. So uh, as always, thank you. Uh, to our patrons, uh, thank you so much for for making and contributing to make sure this podcast happens on a monthly basis. Uh, thank you for hitting that like and subscribe button. I do want to hear a comment below with what's better, Fable the Mirror Breaker, Kiki Jiki or Splinter Twin. And uh, we'll talk to you guys all next week. Thank you, Ben. And uh, make sure all on all the social media things. Uh, and we'll talk to everyone later. Bye, guys. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media. Sending podcasts into the future.